1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to, if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is one of those chapters where when you're studying 1 Corinthians, you get to this chapter and you think, what in the world is going on here? Head coverings and hair length and all that. And so what I thought I would do is just to cut to the chase real quick. I brought this and measuring stick and yardstick, I guess is what it's called technically. And I figured we were going to pass it around and I want all the ladies to measure their hair length and make sure it's long enough. If it does not long enough, we're going to, we'll know what we're talking about. That's, that's, Unfortunately, that's what some people look at chapter 11. And, and it is part of chapter 11. And, and culturally, and, and, and what was going on in society, what was going on in, chapter, in, in Corinthians in chapter 11 was you, you have some, some individuals who are really rebelling, revolting against God's created order. Against God's established order, they're, they're rebelling, revolting, pushing back on the roles that God has ordained for men and women. And ultimately, they're, they're rebelling against God. Corporate worship was being affected by this. It wasn't just, we never sin in isolation. Our, our sin affects one another. We're a body. And what we do affects each other, for better or worse. And, and, and uh, experts and, and historians of that are not 100% sure what was going on in Corinth at, at this time. They're, they're not sure exactly what society was like, what, what the church was like, where they were spiritually that would have brought on the question that Paul is addressing here. The que- again, Remember, the last few chapters of 1 Corinthians, he's addressing questions that they have asked of him. We, we have a good idea of what was going on, but we really can't be 100% certain regarding some of the aspects that might have caused them to question these things. And that, of course, affects our interpretation of what we see here. What was going on? The culture, the society, what, what was going on there, that affects our interpretation. That affects how Paul answered and what he says. And, and then... You take something that, you know, appears to be cultural in nature. And then people try to run with that and, and make it law, make it right. See, not everything that the Bible reports does it support. And sometimes what you see in the Bible is descriptive more than prescriptive. So, sometimes, for instance, especially in Acts, Luke is describing what was going on at that time. He didn't necessarily mean this is the way you have to do it for all of perpetuity. He's simply describing, hey, this is what was going on. And this is how they handled it. And so we find that here in 1 Corinthians. We, we're, are these divine standards or is this a situation that Corinth found itself in and then how do we apply it? See, the interpretation is one the application is many. There are many applications, and we'll get to that to what we read here in 1 Corinthians. Many applications. And, and, and again, what we see here, is it descriptive? Meaning, is it describing what was going on at that time in Corinth? Or is it prescriptive? Meaning, is this what the, rest of the, is this what the church ought to be doing forever? It, 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 what is it? Are we to follow it? And, and it matters. It matters. Here's why it matters. 
I noticed there's no ladies in here today that came in here with hats on. There are some people who say, though Miss Esther has, Miss Esther always, yeah, I don't know if I'd call that a hat. That's probably inappropriate if I call that a hat, but close. We are the most, you and I are the most biblical people in here. My, you'll get to this, my haircut, I don't have it here. You think it's just genetics, I'm just trying to be biblical with this haircut. I'm serious, guys, it's humbly, no. But should we? Should we all have hats on? Should we all have head coverings on? Not only that, what role can women have in the church? What role can they have? What, what is God's divine order for worship? What should be included in our worship and what shouldn't? All questions that are dealt with here. And, and, and these are things that 1 Corinthians addresses, tough subjects, very emotionally charged subjects. And, and he, here's what we have to believe. God has established order for us as believers to follow. He has created distinct roles with regards to women, with regards to men, and those roles have to do with order, not worth, not value. It has to do with order. Somebody has to lead. Somebody has to be the head. In order for a relationship to function, somebody's got to take responsibility for the relationship. Somebody's got to take the lead. And God has established this from the very, very beginning of creation, as we'll see today in chapter 11. He's established it. Will we trust that it's good? Will we accept it? Will we receive it as good, or will we fight it? That's good. That becomes the question. Will we take what God has ordained and established and created? Will we receive it as good, or will we fight it and rebel against it? And, and again, how we receive this not only affects our everyday lives, but it affects the life of the church. And that's what we see in, in 1 Corinthians 11. It was causing disunity. It was causing issues within the church. How we receive God's commands and order and how we live individually affects us corporately. Will we embrace what God has designed? We're a body, just like I've said. What one of us does, we all, it affects us all, for better or worse. And so what Paul is dealing with here is important. It's important. Let me, let me read starting in, in verse 1, and um, we'll read through verse 34, and then I'll, I'll make some comments here and hopefully get us out of here at a decent time. Now, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Now, I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head covered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as a woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, for let her cover her hair, her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither is the woman independent of the man, nor is the man independent of the woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman. And all things originate from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for, proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? 
Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But, it is a, but if a woman has long hair, it is a glory for her? For her hair is given to her for a covering. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. I wanted to try to get through verse 34 today, and we're taking the Lord's Supper, and 17 through 34 apply to that, but we'll do that next week. So we've got enough to cover here in, in verses 1 through 16. But there's some tough things in there. You, you see why I was kidding. Should we be measuring men's hair and saying, Oh, your hair's longer than this. That's a disgrace. And women should be saying, Hey, your hair is shorter than this. That's a disgrace. Well, what's he teaching here? And I just have one, I want us to see one overriding, one overriding truth, one central truth today. You, you see it there on your handout and unlike last week, I'll stick to the handout this week. I'll stick to it. I know you, all you type A personalities, I saw y'all running back to Daniel, asking for all the fill-ins last week. I drove some of y'all crazy not sticking to that handout. So I'll stick to it this week. We won't have church division over not covering all the, all the fill-in-the-blanks. But just one, one central truth today. One central truth. And you see it there in your handout. We are to be separate from the world in order to make our identification with, submission to, and worship of Christ obvious to the world around us. We are to be separate from the world in order to make our identification with, our submission to, and our worship of Christ obvious to the world around us. Let me, let me ask you a couple questions here. If somebody asked you, why, why do you gather for worship? What would you say? Why, why do you gather for worship? Well, why don't you just sit at home and wait for Daniel to put this on our website and just listen to it? Why, why do we gather? Why, why do we study the Bible? Why, why do we come here and study the Bible? Why don't when we break off into small groups or why don't I spend time talking about myself or spend time talking about sports or spend time talking about the economy or, or the government? Why do we stop everything we're doing and focus on this word. Why do we do that? Uh, anyway, Downton Abbey is a very popular thing, right? Why don't we just sit here and talk about that and why my wife is upset that they only show six episodes at a time and it doesn't go for longer than that? I don't know. Maybe that's the biggest thing we have to talk about. Well, why when we gather, why do we, why do we talk about the Word of God and that's it? Why not just talk about what feels good? Why do we talk about stuff that, that sometimes challenges us and sometimes reveals sin in us? Why do we do that? Even better question is this, are we unique? Is what we do, is what we are doing here unique? But not only that, is your life unique? What, what about the way you dress, the way you talk, the way you live your life, the way you watch sports, the way you live as a family, the way you love your wife, the way you love your husband, the way you raise your kids? Anything unique about that? Anything different about that from the world? Does the world see a difference? That, that's what Paul is getting at here. That's what he's getting at here in this chapter. And, and if there is a uniqueness, why? And, and again, we saw what we saw at the end of chapter 10 last week carries over. He says in verse 31 of chapter 10, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, 
but the profit of many so that they may be saved. And then Paul says, be imitators of me. You know, that, that's a big statement. Follow me as I follow Christ is essentially what he's saying. If somebody followed you, the question becomes this. Where are you going to lead them? If I follow you, where, am I going, where are you going to lead me? Paul says, hey, you imitate me as I imitate Christ. And the gospel, again, he said it over and over, the gospel is of utmost importance. Our reflection upon the gospel, how we live that out, is, is of most importance. And because of the gospel and our testimony, because of that, we have to always take into account the implications of our actions, the implications of our walk, the implications of our worship, how that affects those around us. There are implications for that. And and Paul approaches this chapter here in verse 11 similar to what he's done in the other chapters. You kind of have a yes-but logic. You're right, yeah, you're right, you're kind of right, but. You're, You're right in theory, but, that, that's what Paul has said over and over. In chapter 6, verse 12, he said, all things are lawful. Guess what? Not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but I may not be mastered by anything. In chapter 7, he said the same thing. In chapter 8, take care of your liberty. Yeah, you're free, but. Chapter 9, Paul gave an illustration of how he laid down his liberty. Chapter 10, avoid Israel's mistakes. Why? Because your liberties turn into idolatries. Be careful, he's saying. And they're doing some things right. You look at verse 2. They had good theology. The word there, the word there, traditions, is also translated theology in other places. They, they're holding firmly to their theology. They, they have good theology. It's possible that, that what they're dealing with here, it's possible that they understood in Christ that they were set free. That, that in Christ, the, cult, the distinction between male and female were set aside. Galatians 3.28 says there's neither male nor free, or male nor female, nor free nor slave, nor in Christ. They got that. They're, we're one. The distinction is this, Christian, non-Christian. They, they had good theology, but the problem is they didn't apply the theology right. That's about where it stopped. They, they, they had carried their theology to the wrong places, and that's where we live today. You look at Christians today, you, you, you talk to them about things, they're like, I'm free, don't confront me, don't, humble you. Don't, 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 don't judge, don't do this. Hey, you have good theology, you know some verses, but you're dangerous with them. You know enough to be dangerous. And you don't know them in the context. And you haven't put the whole picture together. The, the reality is, is I am, I am to spiritually judge all things. But I'm to judge myself first. And guess, guess what? If, if I love you, I will confront you. That's biblical. The reality is if I don't love you, I'll leave you alone in your sin. And see, they had good theology. They didn't know how to apply the theology. And they knew that, hey, in Christ we were set free. Absolutely right. That is true. Men and women are equal in Christ. You are free in Christ. But that does not mean there are not differences between male and female that God established. That does not mean that there are not still roles that God established for men and women. That does not mean that there should not be a distinction between a male and a female. That does not mean you go off and do and live however you want. We are still under the law of Christ. We have been set free from the law of sin and death, and we have been freed to the law of Christ. And what Paul clears up immediately here is just that. It's, it's the... It's that nasty word about submission. 
And what Paul says is that being in Christ doesn't mean that we are no longer to be submissive. That's not what it means. The, the second I use that word, ladies are checking out, men are, oh, yeah, preach it, and men are, women are like, forget it. Submission? But, but notice what Paul says in verse 3. See, we, we've abused this idea of submission. Look at verse 3. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. Everybody is submissive to someone. Everybody. Everybody is submissive. That's the key to the whole chapter. You've got to get verse 3 down pat. Everybody is submissive. We're just submissive to different people. Okay, everyone is submissive. Submission is not something that's just for women. Unfortunately, that's the idea that's been communicated, that, that submission is a woman's thing. It's not a woman's thing. It's everybody's thing. And submission to authority is to be a characteristic of all Christians. Submissive to authority. That ought to be a clear mark of humility. We, our lives ought to be defined by submission. We ought to be submissive. We hear it all the time. In Christ we're free. We're no longer in the law. That's part of the truth. But the reality is, is that we have been freed to serve Christ in ways that before as sinners we could not. We could not serve Christ before in our sin. Now we've been set free to serve Him. We're free to glorify Christ now as believers in ways that we were not before. That's the freedom we share. It's not a freedom to go off and live however you want. We're not free to do whatever we want. We have been free to serve a new master, that is Jesus Christ. Before we served sin because we had to, in Christ we no longer serve sin. Because we don't have to. We've been set free from that. And we've looked at all kinds of chapter 6, chapter 9, chapter 10. We, we've seen that in, in 1 Corinthians. We, we're not under, we, we're not, we're, all things are lawful, yeah, but not all things are profitable. In chapter 10, we saw, hey, uh, all things are lawful, but I'll not be mastered by anything in verse 23 there. But look at, look at Romans 6. I want to get, get a clear picture. I want to help us get a clear picture of, of what, what we're doing here. Look at, turn to me in your Bibles, if you would. To Romans 6. Just turn back one book to the left. Go through the, fifth, the 11 chapters of Corinthians. Start in chapter 15 or 16 of Romans. And go back to chapter 6 of Romans. Because this is a good chunk. And I want you to read it in your Bible. I want you. You ought to. I, I highlight. You see my Bible. I would encourage you to highlight. Some people think that's wrong. But I'm not smart enough to remember. Highlight these things. Romans 6 starting in verse 6. Look at this what Paul says. Phenomenal truths. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, three imperatives here, three commands. Do, the first one is this. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its lusts. Verse 13, the second imperative. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of righteousness. The third one. But present 
yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Verse 14, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, though you you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You see the point? You've been freed to serve a new master. You haven't been just set free to go run wild and do whatever you want. See, we're free, but it's not an unbounded freedom. We, we're slaves to Christ. We, we're free to serve the greatest king, the greatest Lord there's ever lived. We're free to serve the greatest master there ever has been. We are slaves to Christ. And, and it, ought to, it is a privilege to be a slave of Christ. In that day, it would have been an honor. If you served a great master, they would put an awe oftentimes in, in, in your ear because you were, bra- I serve a good master ever so often slaves would be freed and if you served a good master you would voluntarily go back to your master and they would put it all in your ear and you would voluntarily as a freed man or woman do everything that you once did as a slave why because you serve a great master that's that's the imagery that paul's picking up on here and and notice in verse three what he says man is submissive to christ men Submission is your thing too. You are to be submissive to Christ. Woman is submissive to man. Literally, you can think of the imagery that Paul said in verse 1. Hey, Karen, that's my wife. Karen, you follow me as I follow Christ. Karen, by you following me, you're really following Christ because I'm following Christ. That's the picture. And Christ was submissive to God. The, the word there, head, it literally, it's kephale, it means ruler, it means authority. He is our ruler, he is our authority. And authority and submission, are ev- they pervade everything and everyone. Even Christ himself, you look all throughout John, you look at John 4, John 5, John 6, John 8, John 12, John 14. Christ laid down everything, why? To glorify his Father. He said, I don't come here to do my own bidding. I come here to glorify the Father. He's King of kings and Lord of lords, laid it all down to honor His Father. Christ was submissive and loved it. Why? Because He loved His Father. Did that make Christ inferior to God? Absolutely not. They're co-equals. They're equal. It was the role that Christ played to accomplish salvation, to accomplish redemption. It was a role He played, if you will. He was totally equal to God, and yet he submitted to God. Submission doesn't mean you're less. It doesn't mean you're inferior. It it, it means this. I'm obeying God in what he's designed for my life and my position. We're all submissive. That's the point that Paul is making. Look at verse 4 and 5. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head, but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. And and Paul gets into the issue here. The problem was head coverings. 
And, and again, we don't know everything that was going on societally. We're not sure exactly what was, what was going on to make this play out this way, but we do know this. In that culture, for a man to have his head covered was disgraceful. And for a woman not to have her head covered was disgraceful. You got that? So men, don't cover your heads. It's disgraceful, Paul is saying, in that culture. Women, cover your heads. Why? Because it's disgraceful in that culture, not. And, and here's the thing. The, the, the man who was submissive to Christ, you know, if, he, if, if he was to cover his head, it was showing a lack of submission to Christ. Why? Because you were confusing. You were making it confusing as for who you were. And for the woman, the opposite was true. And, and here's, here's probably what led to this problem. In Corinth, there was the first, if you will, women's liberation movement or whatever you want to call it. Women were throwing off their veils. They were refusing to wear their veils. And it was, just, it was revealing their heart. They were, they were rebelling. They were revolting. Culture said, wear a veil. And they just said, I'm not wearing a stinking veil. I'm out. I'm not doing it. They were rebelling. And not only that, in that day, um, let's say uh, women who made their gain from doing things they shouldn't have. There's some kids here. Women who made their gain from doing things they shouldn't have, they were not only were they throwing off their veil, but they were shaving their head. They, they, they knew in that culture, in that culture, to even let your hair down in that culture was a, was, was a, was a rebellious act, was a scandalous act on many times. And see, they were not only letting their hair down, they were just saying, look, I'm going to rebel and shave my head. I'm going to go all the way. That's where Paul says, hey, if you're going to take off your head covering, why don't you just go the whole nine yards and shave your head? Why? You know what he's saying? He's saying women, Christian women. Are you free in Christ? Absolutely, you're free in Christ. Do you have to wear a veil? Nothing in the Word of God that says you have to wear a veil. But you know what Paul's saying? He's saying, you wear a veil. Why? Because if you don't wear a veil, they're going to think you're, uh, you know what? Or they're going to think that you're a, a rebel. So wear your veil. Because you're under submission to your husband. And what does he say here? You're going to disgrace your husband. They're going to say about your husband in town, that man has a scandalous wife. That man has a wife who is gaining gain from doing things she shouldn't be doing. So Paul says, you know what? Are you free? Absolutely you are. But lay down that freedom. Why? Because you don't want to misrepresent who you, who you belong to. You don't want to misrepresent the gospel. You don't want to look like something or someone you're not. And, and here's the other thing. In that culture, the women were doing this. Why? Because they were trying to blur the lines, blur the distinctions between men and women. They were like, I'm a woman. I could do anything a man to do. Watch this. I'll shave my head and prove it. I was thinking about this, I, and we thought Shanae O'Connor was ahead of her time. Some of y'all don't know who she is. That's probably good. But uh, she, was a, she had one hit, and she shaved her head and all that stuff. But See, they were trying to blur the lines. They were trying to blur the distinctions. It was causing confusion. Is, is that a man or a woman? You see, and, and God's going to get to it in verse 14. Women, he says, God gave you hair that is different from a man's to distinguish you as a woman. It, it's your glory. You don't shave that off. Make, make sure you're distinct as a woman. 
There ought to be no confusion as far as you're, whether you're a woman or a man. I'm grateful for this hairstyle. Nobody confuses me for a woman. And that's, and that's what was going on. And, and again, the, these women who were, they were rebelling, and then there's other women who made their living doing things they shouldn't. They were taking their veils off. Why? Because they were basically saying to the world, I'm available. I'm available. They were rebelling. And not only that, they were saying, they were saying hey, I'm going I'm to show you, I'm going to blur the lines of societal norms. I'm going to blur the lines between men and, man and female, and I'm just going to go all out. And I'm going to shave my head and just out of re- rebellion. Because again, hair was a beautiful thing. It was a big deal. And, and Paul says this, men, women wear veils in your culture. Don't wear a veil. They're going to think you're effeminate. You're going to confuse the distinction between man and woman. And guess what? Woman, if you wear a veil, you're going to look like a rebel or you're going to look like something else. So wear a veil. And, and, and by the way, your hair is your glory. And, and it appears in that culture that men were getting a hold of this and men were growing their hair out much longer than what was normal. And women were cutting theirs really, really short or shaving their head altogether. It was rebellion. It was just, I'm going against the grain. I'm going against the way that God has designed. I'm going against the way that God created. I get that. I'm just going to go against it. I'm going to be my own person. And Paul's saying, stop it. For the gospel's sake, stop it. And what he's saying is, be careful how you live so as to not send the wrong message, not only about who you are, but whose you are. Be careful not to send the wrong message in how you conduct your life because that is going to be confusing about who you are and whose you are. And how we live and conduct our lives matters. That's what Paul is saying. How you live, believer, matters. Everything about our life, how we dress, how we look, what we do, what we say, where we go, our language, all of that matters. You know why? Because if we're not careful, we blur the distinction between believer and non-believer, between follower of Christ and follower of the way of this world. That's the battle. When we allow the world to dictate our language and our clothing and our styles and the TV shows we watch and all these other things, you know what we're doing? We're blurring the lines. We're blurring the distinctions between believer and non-believer. And I'm not meddling here. That's why I love preaching through a book. That's what Paul says. It's clear. When, when when, when, when when, When... The norms for decency in a culture say this, and we say, I'm free in Christ, I'm going to do this. You're going to look indecent. When the norms norms say, hey, watch this, and you say, no, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to watch this. You're appearing to be something you're not. And he's saying, don't blur the lines. And Paul makes a very, he says, hey, if you're going to cut your hair short and throw off your veil, just shave your whole head. Hey, let's, let's not be, and, and here's what Paul is saying, don't be ambiguous about who you are. There ought to be nothing ambiguous about us. Don't try to, don't, don't try to toe the line and, and balance the fence and, and get the best of both worlds. Paul says, don't do that. Be, don't be ambiguous. Go ahead, if you're going to do that, just shave your head and be done with it. Why? Because you're confusing people. And, and the application is, is huge. Clothing and movies and where we frequent and habits, the, the list goes on and on. 
we know the message to the world that we're sending when we do these things. And, and how we dress and how we act and how we behave and where we go and what we participate in, it matters because we are sending a message to the world that says we are something that we are not in Christ. And I'm not talking about being a little legalistic, and I brought this up for a joke. We don't need to be a people that walks around measuring short length and hair length and dress length and all this stuff. We ought to govern ourselves. I ought not to have to govern you in that. Your heart governs you in that. And that's what Paul is saying. Don't blur the lines. Don't, the, here's what he's saying. Don't compromise in any way who you are and whose you are. Don't compromise through your life. Be set apart from the things that don't bring glory to Christ. Run far from those things, no matter what it costs you. And if it means wear a veil when you don't want to wear a veil, you know what? Wear a veil. And guys, if you want to wear a veil and your culture says don't wear a veil, take the thing off. It's that important. Don't blend in with the culture. Look at verse 7 through 12. He says, For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image of glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore, women ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of the man, nor is the man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Here's what he's saying. God's order and creation, male, female, all the distinctions you see, were not by accident. The roles, our looks, our physical... Everything about us that's different, it was not by accident. God did not just flip a coin and say, oh, oh, man, you were heads, you get to lead. He did that on purpose. And he didn't do it because women are inferior. He did it for order. And Paul makes that very clear. There's a mutuality here. There, there is a mutuality in our relationship on all levels. And yet, for order's sake... Women submit to their husbands. It's for order. Ephesians 5. It's order. And, and, and men and women, what he's saying is that they complement each other. They complement each other. They form one body. The two shall become what? One flesh. Karen is my complement. Karen is far far wiser and patient she's better at me in so many areas and i'm grateful that i have her on my team she, she does she's very good at that i um i, I don't want to ever make this about me i i'm, I'm a little emotional this weekend uh, not only the newport richie thing but friday i'll tell y'all brad bradley probably told you or whatever but friday we were fishing with sloan and we were on Uncle David's dock, and I cast, and I feel this bump when I cast it back, and I look back, and the lure went through his cheek and had come, hooked back, and had come back. And I mean, I, I'm just fishing, and I look back, and my son is kind of on the ground looking at me. I interpret it as, what did you just do to me, Dad? And he just has this look of just... and. So we grab him, we go to the ER, and 
They had to do all this stuff to, to get it out, and, and it was torture. And I, I was sitting there sitting by the bed. I had my head in the bed. I was weeping because I'm thinking, I did this to my son. I, and, and, and for whatever reason, I haven't slept at night because I close my eyes and I just see a picture of my son's face just staring at me. I hear the, the, the ER and all that stuff. I, I, and then the whole Newport Richie thing. So I, I'm a little soft, but, but guys, it's important how we live. I, I've probably asked my son 50 times since Friday, please forgive me. It was an accident. Please forgive me. But, but men have been given responsibility. I am responsible for Karen. I am responsible for my two children. And I don't take that responsibility lightly. And with that responsibility comes authority. And men, for whatever reason, God gave us the responsibility for authority. Our families are our responsibility. They rise and they fall under our responsibility. And that's what Paul says. He says, for a wife to live, a, to live other than that, it is a shame to her husband. You're the, you're the man. Lead. Men are responsible for how we lead and protect. We get the authority, guess what? But you also get the responsibility. It's not just you get all the authority and you get to boss her around. No, you have the responsibility. Later on in chapter 12 and 13 and 14, Paul's going to say, Women, if you have any questions about what's going on in the church, you go to your husband because they're responsible for your spirit. You, you go to your husband. He's the leader. It's not just I get to boss her around and do what I want. I have responsibility. And what Paul is saying is celebrate this. We're unique. Don't minimize the differences. They are rooted in creation. Man, woman, roles, physical, hair, all that stuff. It's rooted in creation. It's by design. Embrace it. Embrace it. We, we, and, and what Paul is showing us here is even a picture of the church. We look, we're a bunch of different people just got no business on some levels loving each other and being here, and yet for the glory of Christ, we come together as one body. And we complement each other, and we serve each other. We have differing abilities, different gifts, but guess what? We're all equal. I happen to be your shepherd, but I'm with you. I'm battling with you. We need each other. And Paul is saying, don't let culture and don't let sin nature and don't let all these things, don't give in to sin and go with the culture if it compromises who you are in Christ. If it compromises any way God's order and, and His design. And men and women are desperately needed in order to function. Yes, woman, you, you go to 2 Timothy. Woman, woman may have her origination from man, and yet he says, but women will be preserved in childbirth. You know what your importance is? Every man came from a woman. If there were no women, guess what? There'd be no more men. So don't minimize women. It's important. There's equality here. There's mutuality here. In, in every respect, we need each other. There's a balance here in how Paul does this. You see it in 7 through 12. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman. There's, there's mutuality there. And embrace, here's the point, embrace who you are. Embrace the role God's given you. Do it by laying down your rights and privileges for the betterment of the other. And Paul, Paul's saying, hey, lay down your rights and your privileges. Why? For the glory of God. 
Lay down your rights and privileges. Why? Because it's better for your spouse. You don't want to send the wrong message. And Paul brings it home in verse 13. Judge for yourselves. He's saying, you be the judge. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Listen to what he says. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? Listen to me. Culturally speaking, the length of, of hair on a man has changed, but men's hair have almost in every culture been shorter than women. If men in that culture have their hair down here, if that's culturally acceptable, historically women's hair will be much longer. There is a distinction. That's what Paul is saying. Look at nature itself. Men's hair is always shorter than women's hair. It's natural. God did it that way. You, you can study it. Men's hair grows in a totally different cycle than women's. I looked it up. I wondered why I'm like I am. It's different. We reach the, we reach the quitting growing stage quicker than men. I mean, than women, thankfully. But why? God did that. There's a distinction. Verse 15, but if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her. For her hair is given to her for a covering. God wired this in as a covering. It's a symbol of submission. It's a symbol. And it's by God's grace. Embrace it. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. He says, look, if you're going to fight this, you're on your own. Nature testifies to it. The Word of God testifies to it. You're not going to find in any church that I've had a part of, you're not going to find a sound support for your rebelling. So stop it. Stop it and embrace who you are. What Paul is saying is don't fight God's design. Humbly accept your role. Are you, a, are you a husband in here today? Be the best husband you can be to the glory of God. Are you find you find yourself as a wife here today? Be the best wife you can be to your husband to the glory of God. You come in here and you're a student, you're, a, you're one of our youth, you're single, whatever. You be a student, you be a single, you be a youth to the, to the glory of God. You be the best student you can be to the glory of God and with the strength He provides. Or, or, have you lost your loved one? Commit that to the glory of God. See 1 Timothy 5. You be the best. Not, and I'm not saying pull up your own bootstraps. You go, to the, you go to the Word of God and you seek to be the best, whatever role you have, employer, employee, all those things, to the glory of God. Avoid hindering the spread of the gospel by misleading cultural signals. That's what he's saying. Do not hinder the gospel by sending misleading cultural signals about who you are. By living in ways that are directly contrary to the word, but doing things that you know better. That's what he's teaching us. Because ultimately what he's saying is, the, 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 the context here is corporate worship. How I live, how you live, affects our corporate worship. And anything that distracts or detracts from our corporate worship, Paul says, stop it. Stop it. Because of the gospel. Personally and corporately be committed to get rid of anything that hinders the gospel. So, the application. The application. You see there on your handout. Let's close real quick here. Ask yourself this. What message are you sending through your life with how you dress? Your lifestyle, your choices, your attitudes, your walk with Christ, how often you read the Word, how committed you are to sharing the Word. How committed? What message are you sending? 
what, what does it look like in our culture? What does it look like in our culture to be submissive and under authority, to be a worshiper and follower of Christ? Are you that person? Are you that person? Or are you fighting it? What does it look like to not try and blur the distinctions between male and female in our culture? How might, ask yourself this, how might your life and your lifestyle be affecting your worship? You can't live however you want and then just come in here and expect to worship. You can't rebel all week against God and then come in here and expect to worship. It's not going to happen. How might your life and your lifestyle be affecting your worship? Are you, is there anything in your life that you're not willing to humbly either take on or lay down for the glory of the gospel? Anything in your life that you're refusing to lay down or take upon yourself to the glory of the gospel? Maybe it's love the hard to love. Maybe it's forgive the hard to forgive. What is it? Anything in your life that is, that is hindering your worship, hindering our worship, and hindering the glory of the gospel.